hallelujah that's why we sing that's why we give him all the glory that's why he deserves all the praise amen he is right to give thanks and praise for you are so good hallelujah father we thank you for tonight we need your presence that you your name be magnified above every name I thank you father for your wonderful grace thank you for the finished work of the cross thank you father you call us sons and daughters I will give you all the glory in Jesus mighty name who agrees say amen I didn't hear I didn't hear Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, worship. Give him a round of applause. Eh? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can be seated. Welcome. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Those who are new here, you are welcome. You're home. For those, the kids can be released now. Good luck. Not running a muck in the back then. For those who have kids and are new here, we have a room upstairs for the kids. Sign them in. They have to be taller trained. Um, yeah. And get, don't forget, that, don't leave them there at the end of the service. Have to be over four years old. And, um, and for those with prams, we're streaming upstairs. So if the baby's giving you a hard time, you can go upstairs, but you're more than welcome to stay. Love you guys. How you all doing? Good? Three people. How you doing? Good? And when someone speaks to you, you have to speak back. It's rude if someone talks and no one talks back. Couldn't shut anyone up five minutes ago and now all of a sudden. It was funny last week when we had Tony Frangie. Who, who was here? When all those lebs, the old lebs walked in and sat down, I went, are we recording? Anyway, I don't know. I'll tell you what I said. I said, there's a lot of old folks here. I might have said something like, look at the Pharisees in the room. Until they started worshipping. And then I thought, we are the Pharisees. <laughs> they were clapping and rejoicing and hallelujah. And it was awesome. It was awesome. So on that note, can we put up that? We've got an announcement. Most people do know this, but um, did, I, did AJ give it to you? No? Okay. I'll send it to you quickly. It's for, we're hosting, this is what we're doing. Sorry, Becky, I'll send it to you right now. Oh, here it is. So, uh, everyone say next Friday. Same three people, wow. Can you, t are you three, can you tell the rest of them next Friday? We're hosting, security. Um, we're hosting Mr. Frangi, Tony Frangi and Basma, if you don't know who they are. Uh, they're uh, an evangelist friend of ours we met and we've um rabs and i have had a meeting with them this week and last week they couldn't find a venue so they jumped on behind our service he's from lebanon he's an evangelist he's a pastor over there um full of the holy ghost hallelujah he's reaching all the middle eastern community in lebanon and around the world um basama that lady she was a famous arabic singer and got saved and threw it all away just to serve the lord and pray and, and worship god 
Tony was a casino running, drug dealing, drug taking mafia boss. And um, he told me a funny story, just uh, to tell you, but anyway, before I get to tell you the funny story, we are hosting that next Friday at the uh, Clarence House. It's in um, Belmore, the same place where we did past the city a couple of years ago. So for those, who, some people know about, for those who want to serve, we need people to help serve. We're not, running, we're, we're not running the event so much, but we are hosting it and we're going to take over the, the, the operations of the night. So it's his event, but we're going to help him with it. So we need catchers, we need the usual. I know everyone already knows this, but if you want to help serve with this tea, coffee, set up, we need help people to set up and to pack up. Catchers, um, I need to talk to the catchers, uh, ushers, and, and obviously anyone who wants tea, coffee, to have this event. He wants to flow in the Holy Spirit. We found a venue that will let us go from 6 till midnight. He doesn't want anyone to hinder what God wants to do that night. He wants to pray for the sick. So it's going to be translated in English as well. So if you don't speak Arabic and you don't understand, bring, come, bring the sick, bring the unsaved, bring um, the St. George supporters that need deliverance, um, bring them all. Because the Holy Spirit's moving. I was with him this afternoon and God flowed mightily in an Arabic-speaking church. God is doing something amazing through this guy, amen? And we, we get to participate in the kingdom, what the God's doing in the kingdom, amen? So if you want to serve, come and send myself or Rabs or Rita. We'll get your name. Don't assume that we know you're going to serve, especially the guys that we see every day. We just assume that I'm going to be there. We need to know numbers. It's a Friday. People work. We need to get there early. We need to pack up. We want this to run like clockwork. We're serving this man of God, amen? Amen? Many people are getting saved. People are getting delivered and healed. So it's a mighty move of the Spirit, okay? So if you want to serve, and I'm sure a lot of people have already spoken, if you want to give towards the event, we don't talk a lot. We know that a lot of people ask me, where do I give? The box is there, or we have in a bank account. So if you want to give to the ministry, for the bills here, um, for the need that we, you know, we're, we're helping people in Bangladesh, we're helping people here in our own house, we're helping people in the Philippines. If you want to give by online, and you want to, if you want it to stay in the house, just put a, a, a description when you give, I want it for the house. Or if you want it for the evangelistic meeting, we're going to cover all costs, by the way, too. He hasn't asked us. We, Rabs has put on his heart, the Lord, that we would do that. Amen? Because we believe in sowing into the kingdom. This is about souls. Amen? Amen? We build someone else's house. Guess what? God will build your house. You serve someone else. Guess what? God will serve and help us through. So there's a count up there or the box here. So I'll put that on the side. You can give later. And all that proceeds tonight will go towards the event. The cost, covering the cost, so God can do what he can do best. Amen? I just want to show you something how God is good, and I'll give it over to Dorian. He shared a quick testimony. So Tony used to run gambling joints and, and, uh, in Lebanon, and he was taken out for dinner to a club in RSL Club or in Bankstown area. He wanted to go in the poker machines. <laughs> the people who he was with, you can't go there. You're a pastor. He said, I want to go in there. He said, no, you can't. So he didn't go. But the next day, someone took him to the same place. So he went in there. And they go, you can't go in there because I'm going in there. He went in there. And he was looking for Arabic people that looked out Lebanese. And he wasn't sure. So what he would do, he'd walk around and start talking Arabic to see if anyone turned. And the lady goes, I know you. I watch you on TV. He goes, really? What are you doing here? He goes, I'm praying. <laughs> True story. He goes, oh. Whether she was playing or not, no condemnation. But he says, come on the 12th. And then another guy looked at him. He walks up to him and goes, where are you from? I'm from this village. Whereabouts? Up north. What family? This family. He goes, you have a brother that likes to gamble? He goes, oh, 
Of course. He says, did you drive a red Mercedes? Yeah, that's actually my car. He goes, did he used to play? Where did you used to play when you were in Lebanon? He goes, a guy named Tony Frenji used to have a gambling joint. We used to play there. He goes, I'm Tony Frenji. The guy fell off his chair. He goes, what are you doing here? He goes, come on the 12th and find out. He goes, are you in politics? He goes, come on the 12th and find out. He goes, what are you doing? He goes, come on the 12th and find out. So he took his number. This guy used to gamble in his gambling joint in Lebanon 20 years ago. God brought him to Australia. They go into a, to a, to a poker machine in Bankstown and they get him saved. God is good, amen. He doesn't, if a sparrow falls out of the ground, the father knows about it. How much more your life? What a great story. The religious guy didn't want him to go in, but he wanted to go in there, not to play, to find out where I can find another soul to be saved, amen. This is the type of heart this man's got. He told me the story, he couldn't stop laughing. So this is the man that we're supporting on Friday. Are we clear? If you want to serve in any capacity, you don't have to be Arabic, all right? It's probably better if you're not. Now, when we serve, because, you know, our people want to be the catcher, the preacher, the prophesier, and collect the money at the end of the night, you know. But we're going to serve him. So we'll talk about those guys, how we catch. He's got his own little team of guys. We just follow them around. We'll be on the floor, and we're just going to serve this man of God. And if you haven't been a part of a revival, he wants, us, he wants God to move. It's a revival meeting. Um, it's going to go all night. So if you haven't been a part of that, come. If you just want to come and bring friends who speak Arabic or... Just come. Be a part of what God's trying to do. Amen? Amen? All right. Well, I'm, I'm honored to, to present Pastor Dorian. Give him a round of applause. He's going to share the word tonight. No? There we go. All right. Beautiful. Good evening, everyone. Good to see all your smiling faces. You're not, very, you're not very vocal to Pastor Tony, but hey, you've got great smiles. So I don't mind if you don't say anything. Just keep those smiles. They're great. And um, I hope you continue smiling through the message I'm going to bring tonight. Um, I purposely kept the, uh, the title very vague uh, because I wasn't sure I said what I was speaking about in more detail whether no one would turn up or whether there'd be too many people turn up and we'd have to turn them away. So I am speaking tonight about God's plan for your body, your sexuality and the meaning behind your creation as male and female. Now who's, you don't have to put your hand up, oh, well I said you don't have to but hands are going up, but I know we are all interested in this topic. And I know the world is very interested in this topic. So hopefully tonight we can unpack God's truth about this topic. But before we do, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. That it's life to those who find it and healing to all their flesh. It's life to those who find it and healing to all their flesh. We thank you that your word never returns void. I pray it falls on fertile soil tonight, that each one of us leave tonight with a greater revelation of your vision for us, your plan for us, your heart for us. Holy Spirit, I give you 
My voice, my words, have your way tonight. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so <clears throat> again, God's plan for your body, your sexuality, and the meaning behind your creation as male and female. The church at large, I'm not talking about our church, has been pretty good at telling people what the rules are, what not to do, the thou shall nots, but hasn't done a great job at communicating the why or the meaning behind the rules. And it's not just the church, even our own parents. I don't know about yours, but mine weren't very good at explaining to me the meaning of my body, the meaning of my sexuality, and what it meant that I was created as a male. I don't know, maybe you had parents who had it down pat. Uh, God bless my parents. Uh, they weren't, this wasn't their forte, let's just say. And by, when I say, when I'm talking about sexuality, I'm not talking about the political issues of the day, you know, homosexuality, trans, all that. Even though this is relevant to that, I'm not here to preach a political message. It's not about what happens necessarily in the bedroom. It's about who we are and the sense we are as man, as woman, as male, as female. So I'm talking to everyone. <clears throat> if you've got a body tonight, I'm speaking to you, all right? Now, anybody without a body, just raise your hand. Good, because we were going to cast you out. <clears throat> so most people have been trying, you know, Jesus build your house on the sand. The wind and the waves will come and knock that house down. And unfortunately, a lot of us have been building our understanding of sexuality, of our bodies, our creation as male and female, on very superficial sand. And the tidal wave, the tsunami of the world, the tsunami of desire, the tsunami of whatever's on the internet, the tsunami of pop culture, the tsunami of the playground, whatever it might be, is coming and beating against your understanding and how can it stand if it's not built on the rock of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, uh, my words, if you hear my words and do them, it's as though you're building your house on the rock. So let's find out what Jesus says. Because I don't want your house to crumble. No one wants your house to crumble. You don't want your house to crumble. But the reality is if we don't have a deep understanding of these issues, we are going to be floundering. Now, I've been there. Maybe some of you have been there. This is a, an issue that affects all of us in one way or another. And it manifests so differently for everyone. I'm talking about relationship breakdown, divorce, body image issues, sexual immorality, shame around your sexuality, fear, lust, fear of relationship, idolizing a relationship, 
All these can be traced back to an identity crisis in the heart about what it means to be male. <clears throat> so I want to shift the discussion from legalism to liberty. Rather than thinking, and this is how religious people think about these things, how far can I go before I break the law? Right? That's how religious people think about this issue. How far can I go before I overstep the mark? Rather than thinking that way, I want to ask, what's the truth about God's plan for sexuality, my creation as male and female, that will set me free to love as God loves? Not so you don't sin, right? It's so that you can actually love as God loves. What's the point of not sinning if you're not able to love as God loves? So this isn't about stopping you from sinning. This is about encouraging us to live out our created purpose as God intended it from the beginning. God does have a plan for your body. God does have a plan for your sexuality. God does have a plan for you as male or as female. And there is a deep, deep, deep meaning behind that. And I'm only going to scratch the surface tonight. <clears throat> but many Christians think this. Body is good. And of course, we give preference, if that's the right word, to the spirit. But too often we equate the flesh with the body. And they're separate. They're not the same. Am I on? Yep. Okay. Body bad, spirit good. That's what we often either glean from what people say or from our own understanding or what other people say. Body bad, spirit good. But God, when he created Adam and Eve, he said, it's good. He created them male and female. In his image and likeness and he looked at it and he said this is very good Jesus himself took on flesh he is the word incarnate so how can the body be bad if Jesus himself took on flesh and became a man and when Jesus died he was it was his very body that was resurrected. He could have gone around spirit, but the Bible is very clear that it was his body that was resurrected. The Bible says the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. You are made in the image and likeness of God. And God has a great plan your body your sexuality and this applies to even if you're single as well by the way this isn't just about married married couples the other thing people believe that oh god is you know religious people and must be god as well god is a prude we don't talk about this stuff stay away from it 
They're not happy to talk about anything else, but don't go there. When that's not the Bible. People think God doesn't have anything to say about sexuality, but the Bible begins with a naked man singing to a naked woman. I don't know if anyone's read the Song of Solomon. Right there in the middle of the Bible is erotic love poetry. Right there in the Bible. Not working. Okay. Is that better? Start again. I love, there's a, Proverb, <laughs> proverb chapter 5. If God is a prude, how did this proverb make it in there? It basically says that a husband needs to be ravished with his wife's breasts. I, I, I can't get around that one. It's there. You don't have to put it up. But God is not a prude. God is interested in this. He's interested in your body and what you do with it, not just what you don't do with it. The Bible tells us that that one flesh union, the coming together of man and woman in that intimate embrace is a great mystery. Ephesians chapter 5, let's read it. It says, for this, man, for this reason a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul says... This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. This has got to be one of the craziest scriptures in the Bible. He is saying the intimacy between a man and a woman is a great mystery, but he's actually speaking when we're thinking about that, of Christ and the church. Wow. Paul says this is a great mystery. Do we look at it as a great mystery? Do we understand it as a great mystery? Or has it become a great misery? The pain, frustration, broken relationships, confusion, whatever it might be. But we're here tonight to reclaim it as a mystery, not as a misery. Amen? And the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. And we, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. That's why this is so important. Now, I've spoken about my testimony previously i'm not going to go into depth about it but it is my understanding of these revelations that set me free from a life of same-sex attraction it kicked in around the age of 15 16 i can't remember exactly i was attracted to men i lived a gay lifestyle for five years very deeply and everything that came with it. And I wasn't discipled by the church. I wasn't discipled by my parents. I was discipled by the world. I was discipled by 
magazines that I came across. I was discipled by um, dysfunction that I was part of my life. I was discipled by MTV. I was discipled by um, pornography at a very young age. Um, I was discipled by the internet. I grew up um, with songs that said, you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do it like they do it on the Discovery Channel. That was my school. I don't know. Was it just me? Yeah? And so all these, you know, puberty hits and these sexual urges awaken in you and you don't know what to do with them. And I, I got confused. And um, I indulged. And some people experience those things and indulge and other people are able to repress it. Uh, they have stronger willpower. But other people actually understand the truth about this and it's life-giving for them. And I encountered Christ at 22 and I was restored. But the thing is, when I encountered Christ at 22, it's not like I was healed instantly. And I think I know why. It took time. It took time for God to build this truth in me. And I look at it this way. If my issue was primarily a truth issue, even though there was definitely a spiritual element to it, if it's primarily truth, what would be the point of God setting me free if I didn't have the truth in me to sustain that freedom? And so it's like God said, hey, I'm real. Come search, search for the truth and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's what he did in my life. Amen. And it wasn't about same-sex attraction most of the time. It was actually him giving me a new vision for my life. A vision consistent with his vision for my life, with his plan, with how he sees me. And I, the biggest thing I realized was I was more than my desires. You are more than your desires. You are not the sum of your desires. There is a greater divine plan. Proverbs chapter 29. This one isn't about... Um, Memory glands. It says, before, uh, is it on, up behind me? Where there is no revelation or vision, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. The ESV puts it this way, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. God wants to give us a vision for sexuality for our bodies so that we're not casting off restraint but they were actually able to live it out as he intended so the body isn't just um, biological the body is prophetic when i when paul says that the coming together of man and woman points to christ and the church that is prophetic that your body 
Your sexuality, your makeup as male and female is actually prophetic and it speaks of your destiny, of our destiny, of Christ and the church. So here's a, here's a visual. Take the most beautiful thing God has created. And that's, that's man and woman. Uh, we can disagree about that, but that's my opinion and it's based on scripture. You are created in his image and likeness. No one, nothing else is. No other animal is. God created you in his image and likeness. You are like him. You reflect. You were created to be like him and to reflect him. Man and woman, he created them. He created them in his image. And he blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Right there in Genesis, you see the meaning of gender. Gen, da, means to produce, to be fruitful. It's where we get other words like generate, generous, generations, genealogy, genitals. They are male and female, the crown of creation. God breathed into them. He didn't breathe into anything else. He breathed into man and image. And you see the most beautiful image God created. And we catch a glimpse in that male and female creation. We catch just a glimpse of the mystery of the Trinity, that two male and female become three when they're fruitful and multiply. God, God isn't sexual, so don't get me wrong, but it's an image of the created world, of, of the eternal exchange between Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And that's why it is the most beautiful picture God ever created. Paul says this painting, this image, points to Christ and the church. The Bible begins with a wedding and ends with a wedding. It begins with the wedding of Adam and Eve and it ends with the marriage of the Lamb. So this painting is a foreshadow, foreshadowing of heaven. Our earthly bodies are a foreshadow, are a shadow of heaven. And that is why the enemy hates it so much. He hates it with a passion and he's hell-bent on destroying this image precisely because it points to heaven, because it reflects Christ and the church. And so, he, the, Satan can't create anything. If we describe it this way, Satan has no clay of his own. All he can do is distort. So he takes the image and he distorts it. He twists it. 
That's all he can do. And if you want to look at what is most, if you want to identify what is most sacred in this world, look at what is most violently profaned, what is most violently attacked, what is most violently distorted and twisted. And so that tells you that there is great meaning in our bodies, in our creation as male and female. And that's why he's hell-bent on destroying our identity and this picture right here. It's no coincidence that in a lot of Paul's letters, whenever he's listing sin, sexual immorality is at the top of the list. Ephesians 6, um, sorry, Colossians 3, 5, Galatians 5, 19, you don't have to put these up, Thessalonians 4, 3, Ephesians 5, 3, the number one thing on every list, put off, put to death, is always something sexual. Why? Because nothing has been exploited more than this. And it's no coincidence that after Paul gives us that image and says that this, is, this points to Christ and the church, it's no coincidence in the next chapter he says, guard your loins with the truth. When he's talking about the spiritual armor, Paul says, guard your loins, this area, guard it with the truth. Because it's going to come under attack. And what do you guard it with? The truth. Paul doesn't say, he says, put these things off. Put to death these things. He doesn't say, Try and manage it, uh, try and control it, try and find a healthy balance. He says, put it to death. And we need to take this really seriously. Unfortunately, I, I think of many women who've come under the effect of it, who feel like they need to look a certain way, who need to be something, who've come under that pressure. And have almost accepted that it's better to be treated as an object rather than a reject. And so when we don't understand who we are, we can settle and say, well, it might be better to be an object rather than a reject. But that's not God's way. And so... The devil twists and distorts it, and here's the biggest mistake people make. They say, well, it's rubbish. Throw it away. Spirit good, body bad. And this is why we actually have people today cutting off their body parts. Because they believe this, the body is that bad when God looked at it and said it's good faith says it's good and the original goodness 
of God and his plan is still there, no matter how twisted and no matter how distorted it looks. And that is the good news. That Christ comes. He dies for us. He takes on flesh. He lives the life you and I could never live. He dies to forgive us of our sins. He rises from the dead. He sends his Holy Spirit to redeem our bodies, to uncrumple what the enemy has disordered, and to restore us back to his original plan. <clears throat> To empower us, not to give us a list of rules. Don't do this. Stop that. What are you looking at? It's to actually restore us to who he created us to be. So I want to look at three, thing, three things Jesus says. I don't know how much, yeah, I've got a bit of, I don't know how much I'm going to get through, if I get through at all. But is this okay? Are we getting something out of this? There we go. Testing? No, we're not. <laughs> I'll just wait. He's got the touch. All right, so we're going to look at three things Jesus said. Three sets of words that help illuminate this. First, first of all, there are words that point us back to the beginning, back to the garden. Secondly, there are words about how sin has distorted our experience here and now. And thirdly, what he says to point us to our destiny. So let's go. First of all, the beginning. And that's where I got the title of the message from. The Pharisees, the religious people of the day, come to Jesus and they ask about the meaning of marriage and whether divorce is okay. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. He answered to them, said, Have you not read... That he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are not, no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together let no man separate. The Pharisees, they're shocked by Jesus' insistence on the permanence of marriage. They're shocked and they said, well, why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And Jesus, his response in verse 8 is this. He said, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, 
permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. From the beginning, it was not so. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, you think that all the tension, conflict, heartache in the male-female relationship is normal? This is not normal. This is not the way God created it to be. Something has gone terribly wrong. That's why he says, in the beginning it was not so. He's pointing them back to what we were originally created for. He doesn't say, yes, Moses allowed it and we're going along with it. He's here and he's bringing some correction and he's going, no, 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 no. If you were permitted to divorce, it was because of the hardness of your heart. But let's, I'm taking you back to the beginning. I'm taking you back to the starting point. That's where we've got to go if we want to really understand this. And so this isn't a condemning message. This is actually bringing hope by Jesus taking us back there. He's actually injecting hope into our situation. What is it, if I give you this analogy, it's as if we're all driving around with flat tyres. The rims are on the road, the rubber's flying off, Everyone is driving on the road with their rims. And Jesus is saying, hey, in the beginning, they had air in their tyres. And people are there, but hang on, everyone drives around like this. Everyone drives around like this. And Jesus is saying, yeah, everyone is like that now, but in the beginning, everyone had air in their tires. And that's what he's saying to us in this area. In the beginning, there was air in our tires. And Jesus came to reinflate our tires so that we could live as he created us to be in the beginning. He didn't come to condemn us for having flat tires. He came to reinflate them. Amen? So what does it say in Genesis? It says a lot, but I want to focus on one main thing. And if we go, it talks about God creating Adam and Eve. I'm not going to go into the detail of it because I'm limited time. But I'll go to Genesis chapter 2, verse... Uh, 24 to 25, or just 25, just 25, yeah. Just describing how he created Adam and Eve, and he said, Therefore a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and that shall become one flesh. And then he says this, and this is in Genesis, and this is what Jesus is referring to. He's saying, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they had no shame. 
they were naked and had no shame. And this, this line is critical for us understanding who, were we, who we were created to be. Now, we might not understand what it means to be naked without shame. But I think if I want to try and explain it, I'm going to take our experience of shame and flip it and maybe then we can understand what it's like to be naked without shame. So, if a woman's in the shower, she doesn't feel the need to cover herself up. But if a, if a stranger walks in, she straight away covers. And I would propose that that shame, the covering, is a form of self-defence. It's a defensiveness against being treated as an object. Against treat, being treated as an object for sexual use. Because the woman knows that she's never meant to be treated as an object, as a thing for someone's pleasure. Experience teaches her that because of men's lust, lustful experiences or whatever it might be, they tend to objectify women's bodies. And so she covers, not because, not because her body is necessarily bad or shameful, but to protect her own dignity from the other person's lustful look. A look that fails to respect her dignity as a person. So take that and flip it and we get Adam and Eve's experience in the garden. Nakedness without shame. Lust, that self-seeking, that living at the expense of another person, that grasping, that taking Lust had not yet entered their experience. Lust, sin hadn't yet entered, so lust hadn't either. And they were completely defenseless with each other in the garden, naked without shame, because they posed no threat to each other whatsoever. There was complete trust. They didn't feel the need to defend themselves at all, and that's why they were naked without shame. And this shows us God's plan for love. Right there inscribed in their bodies, that's how we were created to love. To love as God loves. Never using, never grasping, seeing the dignity of the person. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear and there is no fear in love. And that's why they were naked without shame. And that's what God wants to restore to each of us. <clears throat> so sexual desire, people say, well, God gave me this sexual desire, so, you know, I'm just, just going to have to use it. No, God gave you this sexual desire to love as he loves, which is, and he's, he's the one saying, ah, 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 ah. No, let's go back to the beginning. Let's, guys, Moses may have allowed you because of the hardness of your hearts, but we're not stopping there. We're not talking about that. We're going back to the beginning. That's Jesus. How good is Jesus? How good is Jesus? And he's saying that because he believes it's possible. 
He's not coming and saying, um, I want to point out the binning just to shame you and to condemn you and see, to, for you to see how far you've fallen and how hopeless you are. You guys, there's no hope for you. No, he's coming and he's saying, I'm going to take you back to the beginning because there's hope for that. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, you can live like that. And what is it? It means to live free and to give yourself totally as a gift and not as someone who takes. <clears throat> so as soon as they eat of the apple, what do they do? Adam, as far as we know, didn't lust for Eve, but they instinctively know to cover up. And they would have covered up those, those areas with fig leaves. They, they knew that what they had at the beginning was lost. Before the fall, they were inflated with God's love, but they could be a gift, but no more. So the second thing Jesus says, words, we've, we've covered the words he said to take us back to the beginning. Now I want to share the words he uses to show us how sin has distorted our experience of the body and sexuality right here and now. We all know this one, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 28. And he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you look with lust, if you look to objectify, if you look at someone as an object for your own sexual gratification or for your own selfish desires, if you wish to live at the expense of another... Jesus is saying you've committed adultery in your heart. And those words, they're hard words, I'll, I'll admit it. But again, he's not here to condemn us. He's here to invite us to rediscover our original purpose. To adulterate, what does he, Jesus mean when he says you've committed adultery in your heart? The word adultery comes from the word adulterate, which means to alter to twist, to distort. So when you look with lust, you are distorting God's created purpose. <clears throat> I know from my own experience, living in the lifestyle I mentioned earlier, that was not a loving lifestyle. I was broken. I was doing whatever I needed to do to, to meet my own needs, to feel loved myself. I wasn't loving someone. I was using people in an attempt to satisfy the gaping holes in my heart. Paul's definition of love says, love never seeks its own. So, if all I'm doing is seeking my own needs from a person, then I'm not loving them. I'm using them. <clears throat> so here's the, here's the key thing. God, through his truth, he healed my heart in, this, in that area. Right? So he says, if you look with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. So God took me on a journey to heal my heart 
so that all those holes I had in my heart, all those deficiencies, God filled them himself. So I no longer looked with lust and no longer committed adultery in my heart because there's a connection between the eye and the heart. And the beautiful thing about that is when your heart is right, you no longer need a law to tell you not to do that. Do we get that? So when your heart doesn't want to commit adultery, you don't need a law to say, do not commit adultery. And that's precisely what Jesus comes to do in our hearts. He comes to heal our hearts, to fulfill the law. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. Because his heart was in complete conformity with the law, he didn't need the law anymore. And that's what he's saying to us, that you can, he can heal us to the point where we no longer need the law. The law, the purpose of the law is to, to show us how far we've fallen and to point out our sin. That's the sole purpose of it. A hard heart says there's nothing wrong with my heart. There is something wrong with the law. Hardness of heart says, uh uh, nothing wrong with my heart, something wrong with the law. Change the law, abolish the law, reinterpret the law. But God's heart is fulfill the law, satisfy it, so you no longer need it. <clears throat> I'm going to skip over a bit of things here, I'm going to wrap up soon. The third thing Jesus teaches, words that point us to our destiny. This is quite amazing. If Jesus came to redeem our spirits, yes, he came to redeem our bodies as well. And although it's not, we're not completely redeemed in this life, we can live by the power of the Holy Spirit and see the fruit of the Holy Spirit work itself out in our lives. But it's not fully fulfilled until we're with Christ in heaven. We, I think we can all understand that. Matthew chapter 20, ver, 22, verse 30 says, In the re resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. When your body is resurrected... You no longer marry, and you're no longer given in marriage. And the person you married here, hopefully you'll see them there, but you're no longer married in heaven. Why? Does God all of a sudden push the delete button on the mystery of human sexuality? He doesn't push the delete button, he pushes the complete button. Yeah, you can clap for the Lord. <clears throat> so I said it before, the Bible begins with a marriage and ends with a marriage. But it, it ends with an eternal 
marriage of Christ and the church. And now, that's God, that's Jesus, marrying his bride, the church. And that's why Jesus says, we're no longer given in marriage. Why? Because this marriage on earth is only meant to point to that marriage in heaven. It's got no purpose once you're there. It was given to you here as a gift to point you as a shadow, as a foretaste, as a picture of your destiny. When you're in Disneyland, you no longer need a sign telling you the way to Disneyland. So once you're in heaven, you no longer need marriage to point you to heaven because you're there. So this is what the union of man and woman is in the eternal plan of God. It's a sign that points toward our heavenly destiny. Marriage to Christ, the bride of Christ, the church, you married to Christ. He's the bridegroom. The Bible talks about him being the bridegroom. And we are the bride. The church is the bride. That's what he's pointing to. When, he's, when you have these desires and these hungers here on earth, every one of those sexual desires, erotic desires, relational desires, each one of those is a sign pointing you to Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 to 32, I'll repeat it. It says, For this reason, for this reason, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Sexuality points to Christ and the church. Sexuality is not your ultimate destiny here. Some of us believe it is. Some of us believe that's our purpose on earth because the enemy twists it. The Bible says sex is for life. The enemy comes and twists it and says life is for sex. He twists it. But it's just a sign pointing to the end game. And there is, this is critical, I want you to get this, there is no earthly marriage that can give you what you most desire and truly need. Wow. There is no earthly marriage, no earthly relationship that can give you what you truly need and desire. Because all it is, is a sign pointing you to that which you do truly need and desire, Christ himself.
So that's good news for people who are even single. Your ultimate happiness is in Christ's marriage to the church. The woman at the well. I'm going to be really brief here and then I'm going to wrap up. We know the story. She had a scandalous past, um, you know, promiscuous past. She's at the well and she meets Jesus. Jesus goes out of his way to find her and he says, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right, you've had five husbands and the man you're with now isn't your husband. What does Jesus do here? What's he doing? Jesus uses her physical thirst to get to her spiritual thirst. Jesus is pointing out that Nine times out of ten, don't quote me on that, on that statistic, in our lives we take our thirst for God and aim it at sex or a relationship. We take our thirst for God himself and we aim it at sex or a relationship. Why? Why is it the number one, call it an idol or whatever you want to call it? Well, why? Because in it, it actually points to Christ and the church. That's why we're so attracted to it. That's why we hunger for it and we thirst for it because its very essence points to Christ and the church. She's aiming at the wrong bridegroom. Bridegroom number one, wrong bridegroom. Bridegroom number two, wrong bridegroom. Bridegroom number three, wrong bridegroom. It's a tongue twister. Bridegroom number four, wrong bridegroom. Bridegroom number five, wrong bridegroom. Man you're with now, number six, wrong bridegroom. Bridegroom number seven, right bridegroom. I, I, um, I don't think, I want to jump to Revelation and this, this amazed me and it brought home the woman at the well so clearly. Revelation chapter 2 verse 17. The spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. It's like that's what's happening at the well. They're talking about water and thirst. And Jesus is saying, I've got the living water. Come. Take the water of life. But what does it say? The spirit and the bride say, come. Who are they saying, come to? Jesus himself. That, that moment right there is what the purpose of your body is. That right there is the meaning of your sexuality. That right there is why you were created male and female. 
And I want to say this. What's the time? All right, a few more minutes. I'm always amazed at the compassion that God has for the women he encounters who are caught in sexual immorality. He's very stern with the Pharisees and with the religious leaders, but he's very tender with the women caught in sexual immorality. And that's because I think he knows that their sexual, sexual immorality is actually misdirected love for him. And that's why he can look with that compassion. He knows what they're looking for. Isn't that amazing? He's so good. They know, he knows that they're searching for him. They're just looking in the wrong place. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Spirit, sanctify us by your truth. Lord, I thank you right now. You're, you're pouring out your compassion on what's been where we've been looking for you but aimed at other things. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your goodness. I thank you that hearts are being liberated. Hearts are being liberated from the burden the burden people have been carrying thank you for your healing anointing coming right now and healing hearts and minds in this place Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We thank you, Holy Spirit, you are here. And so if that's you, if you've been caught up in a past either way, you confess that to Jesus right now. Confess, Lord, I, I didn't know. 
Jesus says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. You're forgiven. But now there's a responsibility. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You pour out your spirit on each one to walk that responsibility out freely, totally, fruitfully, faithfully. Hallelujah. You're so good. You're so good. Your word is life. Life to those who find it and healing to all their flesh. Thank you for your freedom. The altar is open if you want prayer. If you want to just linger in the presence of God, feel free to do that. I believe that scales have come off people's eyes tonight. And sometimes you just need to sit in the presence of God and just marinate, let the truth marinate for a bit. Let the Holy Spirit do its work. He's doing a deep healing work in so many. Deep. We thank you, Lord. something we shared tonight touched you somewhere triggered even a hint of condemnation I want to invite you to come forward maybe you've been carrying it around for a while but understand what's past is past and truth has come so you don't have to be fixated on the past you can celebrate 
the truth that God is bringing into your heart now. And so don't let that celebration turn into condemnation. Truth has come, light has come. Hallelujah. But if it's something you've been struggling with, come forward and pray for deliverance, for freedom, once and for all. relationships that haven't worked no condemnation if things haven't gone to plan there is no condemnation Christ has come to set the captives free and to heal the brokenhearted for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus amen Jesus has come to restore us back to our original and only he can do it